0: Our gospel reading today is from Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 1. This will also be the text for our sermon today. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, And said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eyes causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two Others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and mercy from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Who's the goat? That's the question for today. Who's the goat? Now, goat, by goat, I mean greatest of all time. Right. Sometimes we, we hear this phrase, goat, uh, in reference to football, right? And so here we go. Here is four quarterbacks from the National Football League that are arguably the goats, the greatest of all time. Uh, we've got Joe Montana on our right, Tom Brady, Brett Favre, and then, you know, in Denver, in Colorado, we we kind of like Peyton Manning, so that's something to consider. So, are are these the, the goats, or there might be some amongst you today? My son being one of them, saying the goat <laughs> is I, Patrick Mahomes. He will soon be the greatest of all time in in football. We have football, but what else? Oh, who's the GOAT president in our country's history? Is it, is it Abraham Lincoln? Is it JFK? Is it Thomas Jefferson? The greatest of all time? Movies. The Godfather. It's a pretty good one. Not going to lie. Oh, but then you've got Batman Got some Toy Story in there. My personal vote would probably go to Lord of the Rings. Just saying. Who do you think is the greatest of all time? E- even here in our county, in our little county, uh, we, we don't call it the greatest of all time, but we call it the best of Summit, right? And you can vote for pretty much Anything that exists in Summit County. The greatest business, the greatest, well, uh, House of Worship, CLC, is on the ballot, just so you know. And we'll find out the results in a few weeks. Uh, Greatest uh, doctor, greatest place to eat, all sorts of things. The greatest of all time, the best of, of Summit. And that is the question That we lead with today. In fact, that's the question that the disciples ask Jesus. And in 18, verse 1, Matthew 18, verse 1, it says this At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, What were the disciples thinking of? Maybe they were thinking of patriarchs from the past, people like like Moses, who led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into the promised land, right? Or maybe someone like King David or his son, King Solomon, who built the temple in Israel. But we should also keep in mind what's happened recently. In the disciples' lives. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 17, just before our reading today, Jesus takes three other disciples, Peter and James and John, up on a mountaintop. And what happens at that mountaintop? (laughs) He's transfigured, right? He shows up in all his glory brilliantly white. And now that they've come down from this mountaintop experience, they wonder, well, who's the greatest? Maybe Peter, James, and John are thinking, well, it's got to be one of us, right? And then go a chapter before that in Matthew chapter 16, and Peter gives this bold confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus says, ah, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter? Ooh, ha <laughs> ha. Maybe he's a candidate for greatest. Or or maybe, you know, today we would think, who, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We'd think of someone like the Apostle Paul. I mean, the guy, there's an argument for him to be the GOAT, right? Like, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Uh, that There's something to be said about that. Luther, you know, as Lutherans, we... We like Martin Luther quite a bit. The Reformation 500 years ago. Here we are 500 years later, still talking about it. There's an argument to be said there. What about more modern day? Someone like Billy Graham, great evangelist in our country, shared the gospel. He's great, great preacher. Or maybe you can think of someone that you heard growing up on the Lutheran Hour as a great person in the kingdom of God, or a pastor, a pastor whose sermons always seem to hit home, boy, you might think of him as being great. We are, during this kind of six weeks window, doing a, a series called, I will build my church. That's Jesus' words in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And the book of Matthew is sometimes referred to as the, the church's gospel, right? There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Matthew is sometimes referred to as the church's gospel, mainly because the word church... Shows up in Matthew's gospel. It doesn't show up in Mark, Luke, or John. It shows up in Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter uh, 18. And then this, chapter 18, is referred to as Jesus' discourse or teaching to the church. Matthew's gospel has five core teachings. First one being maybe his most famous, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? And we've got the, the mission teaching. We've got his teaching on parables. Here we have specifically what's referred to as the discourse or the teaching or the sermon to who? To the church. And all of this Teaching was predicated, was started by this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And that's where Jesus has a object lesson. He finds a child. Come over here. Let's see. Do we have any children? Ethan? Would it, would it be okay if you, could you come up here and, and stand next to me for a moment? Would that be okay? Jesus says, You want to see the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The goat. Behold, the greatest of all time. You may go back now. Yes. And not only great, but very polite. Thank you. But what does Jesus mean by holding a a child in front of the disciples and answering this question? This is an object lesson. And, you know, what do, we, what do we see about children? Well, they're young. They're sweet. They're innocent. We love them. We care for them. So that's all true. But I might venture to argue that that's not Jesus' point here in order to understand kind of where Jesus is going with this whole idea of of the children being the greatest in the kingdom of God, we need to understand the cultural context of Jesus' day. See, children, they were loved, but they were also kind of seen as, well, possessions of, of their adult parents. They were Seen as, at best, maybe potential good, like what they could possibly grow up to be. But what were children when they were real small? Dependent. Dependence. I mean, we we use that word in, I don't know, like insurance, I have to name who who are my dependents, minors under the age of, I don't know, 18 or, or whatnot. Children, when they're real little, they require lots of work. It's exhausting to be a parent. Feeding and changing and dressing them, caring for them, dealing lovingly with tantrums. In Jesus' day, as they traveled, children kind of dictated the pace of the group, right? Or maybe today it's uh, every hour on the hour on a road trip, what do we have to do? Stop and go to the bathroom <laughs> because the kids need a potty break, right? Need to stretch their leg. You see, Jesus' whole point in holding a child up. Uh, isn't because they necessarily have some sort of innate qualities within them. But he was using them as an example of the least in that world. Those that needed the most. And yet in the kingdom of heaven... The greatest so let's with that understanding, Jesus goes on and teaches, and he gives us the sermon. This child may have been there the whole time, may have asked politely, "Jesus, can I go and sit back down now? That's either way, that's fine. But his point being that we as children, I'm sorry, we as adults, we need to humble ourselves to be like children, to recognize that we ourselves are weak, are needy, are dependent, are lowly, and we need protection from God and from the community understanding this context can help us to understand Jesus's uh maybe harsh words in in verses 6 uh through through 9 or even even in well yeah uh, verse 6 where he talks about uh cause one of these little ones to sin it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into a deep lake That's, Jesus takes sin seriously. You hurt a kid, you hurt someone who's needy, Jesus isn't playing around there. He goes on and he talks about this idea of of lost sheep. And so we're in, in verse 10 now. And he's talking about children and about little ones, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he says this, he says, verse 10, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, interesting verse, that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. If you want to find the the the, the text, the verse, for our understanding of guardian angels or where that came from, it's this is it. It's right here. And we've run kind of different directions with that, uh, but this is the only text in the entire Bible that really talks about this idea of guardian angels. So we can't push it too far, but here's, here's what we do know. Little children have angels in heaven that see the Father's face. In, in Isaiah chapter 6, The prophet Isaiah, arguably one of the goats, is in the temple of the Lord. And in the temple, he sees the the majesty of God. And he sees angels around God. Specifically, they're referred to, they're called seraphim. Now, seraphim, they have six wings. With two of the wings, they fly. With two of the wings, they, they cover their feet. And with two of the wings, they cover their eyes, their faces. Why? Because they they can't look upon the holiness, the righteousness of the Lord Almighty. But who looks at God the Father? The angels of these little ones. What's Jesus' point? God cares deeply, immensely about these, these little ones. Then he, he gives this, uh, this parable and the parable of the lost sheep. This is Matthew's version. Luke has a version of this as well. They're a little different. But in Matthew's version, he, he says this. Uh, you know, you've got 100 sheep and The shepherd loses one. Hmm. Some have pondered maybe the way that the shepherd knew that he lost one of his hundred sheep is because he was safely putting them into the pen on the mountainside. One, two, three, four, five, 99. Looks like I've lost one. And he leaves them. In this pen on the mountainside, and he goes out and he searches for the lost sheep. Now, guessing here that none of us are are literal shepherds today, or very few of us. Maybe maybe a way that we can think about this in, in modern terms would be like, uh, say say your personal net worth is say a hundred thousand dollars. Throw that out there for round num- numbers. You know between your equity in your home and your savings and those sorts of things. But you recognize, oh, I've lost $1,000. Now, that's only 1% of your net worth. But is it important for you to find that (laughs) $1,000? Yeah, it is. You're going to go looking for that. And when you find it, you get to rejoice. Thank you. Lord, for showing me where this thousand dollars is at. In the same way, the shepherd that finds that one lost sheep rejoices when he finds the lost sheep and can return it to the fold. The father, here's the point, the father greatly desires that the little one who has gone astray from the fold be brought back in. This little one is the goat. Then Jesus teaches on brothers and sisters caught in sin. We have seen this, and this hurts us. When we see a a brother or sister doing things that are harmful to themselves, to others. They might be straying from the church, losing their faith. And so what do we do? Well, Jesus gives us some steps to carry out, but more important than the steps themselves is the the heart of God behind that. This is... Someone that God cares for. This is someone in need. This is someone that we need to lovingly and graciously pursue. And so what are the steps? Well, first, Jesus tells us, go to that person, mano y mano, one-on-one, face-to-face, and lovingly and graciously and humbly Share with them your concern about their sin. And if that doesn't work, then we take two or three witnesses, presumably others who maybe are aware of the sin in this person's life, life and we lovingly and we graciously and we humbly go to this person and ask them to return to the fold, to the church. Last, desperate resort. If they don't respond to those first few attempts, and let's, say, let's also say too, it's not, it's not a three-step process. It's not a literal step one, step two, step three. We're done. You're out. Strike one, strike two, strike three. You're out of the church, right? Uh, we go over and over and over individually and then as two or three, and then as the church. And it's only a last desperate attempt that we take it to the church and say, This is, I'm concerned about the faith, the salvation of my brother or sister, and we need to bring this person back into the family. What's the goal? of this whole process. It's not to clear the roles. (laughs) What's the goal? It's reconciliation. It's care for the the least, care for the little ones, care for the, (laughs) Jesus words, the greatest, the one who's in need. And to bring them back what does Jesus say in verse 15? If, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Thanks be to God. What was lost is now found. See, through this sermon, what Jesus is showing us, what Jesus is teaching us in various examples is that his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, It's an upside-down kingdom. Compared to the ways of this world, what we think of as great, what we think of as status, as strength, is not what Jesus views as being great. Jesus essentially tells the disciples, you're asking the wrong question. Who's the greatest? Is it me? Oh. And he gives this whole teaching: "The one in, in greatest need is the goat." Of course, we can look at this in Jesus' instructions, not to cause a little one to sin. Of course, we can look at big sins, if you will, big sins I put in quote, like human trafficking. Is that causing a child to sin? Oh, yeah. Or what about email scammers sending emails to elderly trying to rob them from their bank accounts? Jesus has some pretty harsh words for them, and they need to repent. But it might also be said for those of us here today that uh, when we... As parents prioritize things like sports, over being with the, the people of God. God gathered around God's gifts of grace and mercy, here to hear the, the gospel and to receive the sacraments. When we pr- prioritize one thing over the other, if we're leading them astray, one of these little ones, if we're leading them out of the faith, take heed. And repent. Or what about uh, our need to take sin seriously? Jesus says, pluck the eye out, cut the hand off. Like, okay, Jesus is obviously speaking in exaggeration at this point, but that doesn't mean he's not serious. He takes sin seriously because sin hurts. People. Sin hurts ourselves. Sin hurts others. Sin can be the thing that keeps us from the kingdom of, of heaven. Or we can despise the little ones, maybe not hate the little ones, but oh, little ones, they're just sort of unnecessary evil. Or we, we view little kids like kind of like a sitcom. You ever notice in a sitcom that kids are almost like a prop? When they're cute and great in a, in a scene, they, they, that's wonderful. And then all of a sudden, the parents are off doing their thing without their kids, and you wonder, huh, where'd the little ones go? That's weird. We, it doesn't work like that in real life. We care for the little ones. Why? Because they're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Or our brother and sister who's wandering into sin hasn't been in church for a while, is engaging in activities that we know that is unhelpful, that is harmful, and we just kind of wash our hands of it, pull the Pontius Pilate and say, eh, not my problem. And Jesus would say, you are your brother's keeper. And all of this can come from our wrong assumptions, our wrong understanding about greatness. Those people are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, he placed a a child in the midst of them as he did this teaching. And (laughs) Jesus, like a child, perfectly humbled himself, emptied himself, to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did so, and as he emptied himself, he did so because he looked out at all of us, and he said, you're the goats. You're the ones with greatest need. You need forgiveness and salvation and only I can bring that. Only I can give that to you. And he dies on the cross for our forgiveness of sins so that we may have life, life everlasting. And he tells us at the end of this gospel, Matthew 28, that he, like the child in the midst of them, that he is in the midst of us. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Because I know how much you need me. In our worship services and in the Lutheran Church, we have what we refer to as confession and absolution, confession and forgiveness. And people sometimes have asked me, like, well, what... What gives you or any man the right to forgive sins? I can say clearly, in and of myself, zero, zilch, nothing gives me the right to forgive sins. But for whatever reason, Jesus in his wisdom has given that gift to pastors to forgive, to absolve, to loose the bonds of sin. And this text is one of the key texts that we take this from. Uh, In Matthew 18, verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever, this is Jesus talking, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That's, That's sin. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In Matthew 16, a couple chapters prior, Verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus has given the office of the keys to the church. And you notice both Matthew 16, Matthew 18, Jesus is specifically speaking in the context of, of church gatherings. And he allows me... And all pastors to speak the forgiveness of sins. And what's the benefit? What do we get? The kingdom of heaven. The family of God. The church together. So, who? here's the question. Who's... Who's the GOAT today? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it it the young and unborn? Do we need to protect them? Absolutely. Is it the, the elderly? Yes. Absolutely. Is it the immigrant or the refugee? That needs protection. Yes. And just a side note, I found out a couple uh, days ago that one of the new children in Open Arms enrolling this year just started. His his family is a family of refugees from Ukraine. Hmm. Something to be said about that. What are the ways that we can care for them? Maybe just a phone call to check on our brother who we haven't seen in church for a while. How you doing? A few days ago, there was a visit that happened, and such a, in my mind, powerful example of what caring for the greatest in the kingdom of heaven looks like. One of our members, Dr. Colby Jolly, extremely su- successful by the world standards, no question. She's smart. She's a, she's a doctor. She's one of the most popular and uh, greatest doctors in our county. In fact, she's in the running for Best of Summit doctor, right? Get a chance. She can be voted for, right? (laughs) And on the other side, there's, there's Patricia, who we've talked about in the past. Patricia, another member who had a heart attack earlier this year whose heart is, although she's recovered from that heart attack, her heart is getting weaker. And seemingly, her days on earth are are numbered. So much to the point that as much as she wants to be here with us today, she's not with us because she didn't have the strength to join us in worship gathering today. Last week... Dr. Jolly, Colby, went and spent the day with Patricia, spent time with her. How are you doing? Why? (laughs) Maybe Colby wouldn't have said it this way. But because of the love of Jesus working in her heart and her understanding that Patricia is the GOAT in the kingdom of heaven. Who can we care for? Who can we love and show the gospel of Jesus Christ to today? May we do so by his strength. And he will build his church. Amen.